today's episode, Dave interviews actor Joel Murray. Joel has appeared in AMC's Mad Men and recently starred in the film God Bless America. I'm Ian Foley, and this is ADD Comedy. I love the movie. I loved uh, God Bless America. I fucking loved it. You saw the movie. That's good. I did. I really. I, I saw it. I saw it on. Uh, I saw it uh, on the airplane. I put it on my iPad and I watched it on the airplane. Uh, boy, the politics of that. I, did was that all written by Bobcat or did you? It was add all written by Bobcat. Yeah, I. Uh, I always just said I was just playing Bob. And, right. Uh, he uh, he was all laid up. He was having back surgery, so I brought him over the first three seasons of Mad Men. Said, uh-huh. as long as you can be medicated and laying down for a month here, and uh, I guess somewhere near you know through season two, his wife said, you know, Joel should play Frank, and uh, he sent me the script, and he didn't mention that I want you to you know read this and think about being the lead. Uh-huh. I read it and I'm like, yeah, it's great, Bob. You know, I, I agree with ninety nine percent of it. And, Fuck uh, yeah. And then he's like, yeah, so what do you think? I'm like, well, yeah, what do you want me to be the guy in the office or, you right. know, this, the asshole or what? And he's like, no, Frank. And that just blew me away because, you know, being a character actor, you don't have guys off you leads in movies. And uh, You had gunplay, man. Oh, God, it was a fucking riot. Did you ever, have you ever had gunplay before? No, not real guns. Um, yeah, the, the, the real guns, we, the armorist, the guy who actually is in the kind of taxi driver scene selling the guns, who's never acted right. in his life, he was the guy who was just in charge of the guns on the movie. Oh, and, shit. Uh, That's why he, he really stood out like the taxi driver guy. You know, yeah. it's, it's like he, he stood, that fucker stood out. Yeah. He but, knew his shit. But we went out and we went to the range a few times and shot guns. And uh, I don't know, I think the first shot that we did, um, the camera the dp was kind of like uh could you put it in your left hand like well i i'm not as good a shot with my left hand but uh all right and uh then i kind of like yeah i'd like to kill everybody left-handed so that way when some guy wakes me up in the middle of the night in my house with a gun to my head i'll say hey if i wanted to kill those people i would have shot them right-handed i'm right-handed it was i was acting uh so, so that those are left-handed shots you take. I'm, uh, yeah, I shoot everybody lefty uh, in the movie, which is kind of weird. I that the first the first shot that you the Italian took, word for left-handed is the same as stranger, right? Uh, so I just thought it'd be strange. Sinister. 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 Yeah. Sinister. Sinister. Right. Sinister. That's stranger. the Italian word I know, and I just learned Chianti today. Apparently, it's a very popular wine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, that for the the first shot of the girl in the car, that was the first murder, right? Yeah, the first real one. How how fucking satisfying was that to do? You know, because I, I, for me, watching that movie was so fucking cathartic. It was just so cathartic, Joel. I just I, I like all that shit going. I fucking have had it. Well, after uh, a couple days of having a gun in my mouth and a real gun in my mouth, and every time you're doing a take, having a guy come up to you go, okay, this is a real brownie. Uh, as you'll see, there's none in the chamber. There's none in the, right. the clip. Uh, here you go. And right. then you put a real gun in your mouth. And my buddy Dan Mahoney had just shot himself about a year before that. So you're going to a pretty dark place for a couple days of shooting, you know, when you're on the verge of suicide. And then to actually get to start killing people, it's like, yes, Ugh. talk about cathartic. Uh, to be on the other end of the gun was really good. Right. And um, that shot where 
you know, I, I've got her locked in, and I put the flaming rag in the, the gas tank, right. and I'm walking away, and I'm lighting up a cigarette, and you're expecting the car to explode behind <laughs> no, me. No. It's this set-up, beautiful shot, and then you see that the rag is falling on the ground, and it's, oh, fuck, shit, shit, ow, 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 ow. Uh, and that was scripted? Yeah, that was all scripted, uh -huh. yeah. And the, it was fabulous. You know, they had a string on the rag to pull it out of the, the thing. But It uh, was fabulous. It's one of those wonderful things that you look at and you go, that that's either a happy accident or that was really well written. Yeah, it was, no, it was well written. And they, uh, you know, they had a blood cannon in the car, so when I shot her in the head, you know, this blood cannon shoots all over the inside of this rental car. Right. And uh, so they detailed the hell out of this rental car that had blood all over it. And they bring it back into the car rental place. And at the last second, they roll up their windows to bring the car in, and the windows are completely covered <laughs> with blood. And so they, oh, we forgot about inside the door. Oh, all right. So they had to go back and re-detail it. Uh, so, yeah. It was, what are the comments that you've been hearing in regards to, to the movie? Like... Uh, because it's such a lefty movie. Are you hearing any? Are you getting eighty percent of the people I've talked to? You know, and those are the people that would talk to you. Just absolutely love it, and they find it cathartic. And right. thank God, and you know, God bless Bobcat, and all this kind of thing. And then about ten percent are upset that it wasn't the movie that they wanted it to be. And you know, why did it have to go here? And why didn't you keep killing these people? And you're know, like. All right, well, make your own film. Uh, right. And then 10% are just people that, you know, absolutely hate this lefty snuff porn. Right. Uh, um, and then you're kind of like, well, which character that I kill do you relate to that you're upset about this? Are you, are you, you know, a perennial asshole who takes two parking spaces? Right. Or, you know, who do you, who do you mind dying in this movie? Because I, I, I think Frank at least has the morals that... He only wants to kill people that deserve to die. It's not random shootings. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, I, the, there's about 10% that just absolutely hate it as lefty garbage. But uh, I love the movie. The, I love the part in the, uh, the resale shop. Yeah. Uh, the relationship that you had. Uh, yeah. what, what's the actress's name? Tara Lynn Barr. Tara Lynn Barr. She's um, fantastic. Really fantastic. And that scene was... It just explains so fucking much about this guy and their relationship. And it also put me at ease watching that movie going, that's not going to happen. Right. It was nice to, yeah. And uh, it's nice that I'll never have to work for Woody Allen, apparently, because uh, I, I go off on him. But uh, Bob's very, very anti-pedophile, which, you know, is a stand I can get behind, I guess. But, uh, like, he, he just went and saw... Uh, Moonrise Kingdom, and he was furious uh -huh. that, you know, why they had to sexualize this young girl and this and that. But right. I was like, really? What do you think of the rest of the movie? I couldn't even I couldn't even think about anything in the rest of the movie. But, uh, yeah, Frank was not going to go there. There was no, no doubt about it. But and and then it was, as the movie goes on, and she's in, you know, the very nice dress, and they're dancing, and right. they're laying in bed talking about going to France, you see that he's thinking, you know, that wouldn't be so bad. Of course. You know? Of was, course. Uh, but but that that... That just shows more of a human side of that character. Yeah, and what being being uh, what you call a self-described character actor, um, what did it feel like to to take on this, to look at it, and to go, I'm in every fucking scene in this movie. What was that? What was that feeling like? It was pretty daunting. Uh, you know, I was excited for it, and uh, just quick story. I actually called my brother Billy, who's you know done a lot of work and leads in movies, and I, I called up and I just want to know if he had any tips as far as just you know the stamina it might take, and you know, 
doing it day after day. And, you know, do you have anything like that? And he called me back like 24 days later in typical Bill style. And so what was it you wanted to talk about? <laughs> uh, no, it's all right. I shot it already. But uh, thanks for the tip. Um, but it was, was really weird because as a character actor, you know, you do your six lines and you're done on the right. film. And then to think, oh, God, I got that three-page spiel tomorrow. Oh, my God, I got, I got to do those scenes tomorrow. And so it was a lot of work. And, uh, you know, it, it's a weird ability to be able to memorize pages of stuff and then forget it immediately, too. Were you, do, you, do you have a problem memorizing or not? no. But I do, I, I hit delete. There's only so much room on the hard drive. Uh, right. But I'm not one of those guys that can quote, you know, an entire monologue that I did seven years ago or mm -hmm. something like that. I just immediately forget it. And uh, I, I just, just stuff you memorize for a couple days and that's it. Are you on this uh, Adderall? Thread? Are you on Adderall right now? <laughs> you look really calm and there's, just, there's a feeling about you and an odor, an Adderall odor. Mm-hmm. Uh, are are you following at all? I don't know if you are. Uh, Chicago, nineteen eighty four, nineteen ninety four. You are. Yeah, boy, there's a, a waste of time. My wife is trying to get me to get off the Facebook altogether. Yeah. So what it is is uh, there's a thread called Chicago Theater, nineteen eighty four to nineteen ninety four, and it's about Chicago Theater, nineteen eighty four to nineteen ninety four, and it was a fucking seminal part. It was just. You, was I a, never thought there was about a theater it. in every gas station. I mean, it was just a time where there was just so much going on, and we were fortunate enough to come through Chicago at that point. Right. And, uh, yeah, and you can read it for hours and hours at a time, and uh, you know, you find out, oh God, it's dark. Right. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's dark now. Did I, you uh, have a feeling of that at that time of what was going on? Did you have a feeling about that at all? I always thought that we came through at, at, at a brilliant time in the fact that, you know, Dell was finally putting people on stage right. and uh, the cross currents and that whole thing. And the group of people that I came through with, the J.J. The Joneses, the Pasquese, Chris Barnes, you know, right. different people. And also people. other people like Bill Russell and, and oh, yeah. all those those great actors. Brian E. Crane. Brian Crane, right. And um, uh, <laughs> Steve uh, Burroughs. Steve Burroughs. I was just thinking about Steve Burroughs, who played the Saw every every day before the sh you know, every, every show. And how many shows did we do? Was it five nights a week I, I always say I was doing it like five nights a week and I was painting a house Susan Price's house mm -hmm. in, in like uh, Oak Park and I was hitchhiking into Chicago after painting waking up on the third floor attic uh, 105 degrees painting for a couple hours and then hitchhiking into Chicago doing improv we did one show at gas bars which is Shuba's now right where we made like you know 15 bucks you the made money it, you the made rest money. of it was nothing right and then hitchhiking back on Congress Fuck. out to Oak Brook at like two thirty three in the morning, and you know how I lived, I don't know, uh, but let alone on the you know the fifteen dollars. It was a fucking, it was a crazy time. It was crazy time. And, and then and, you're, you're studying with Dell, mm -hmm. and you'd go to this class, and you know you'd be in a bar with Chris Barnes and Pasquese going, "He gave us the keys to the kingdom, I man. Know, he I told know. us everything about comedy. You know, he just gave it to us, <laughs> and you had to sit up and drink till four in the morning after that. You know? Right? You couldn't come down. You were so jazzed by it. It you know? was an it was an amazing time, and that there was a bar there, and Chicago bars that close at fucking five o'clock. Four it, or five. Four depending. or five, yeah. and go four and or five. Kerrigan's opened at six. Right. Right, right, and it'd right, be right. All postal employees, and you were wondering if they were getting off work or going to work. Oh, yeah. but I also I I think about the amount uh, like what Dell did give everybody at that time, and 
and the great theater that came from that, but also the great minds like hanging out with Chris and hanging out with Dave. And for me, looking at what Mick started there with the annoyance and oh, yeah. all that stuff, and it bloomed into such a fucking and thing. Just like Catherine Evans, people like that. that oh my that God. Started their own theaters right. and did like this hip girls who like to show stuff, you know? Right. Like, great. No, Catherine and her sister, right? Yeah. Um, but all those people at that time, it was a theater in every little space. Mm-hmm. And all those people that came out here, that are out here in L.A., and do you bump into a lot of people, a lot of Chicago people? Uh, yeah, no, yeah. Right? And what influence did that have on, on, your, on the way that you look at material, the way that you... Uh, d- d- Depends on the job, you know, it... Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I do that, you know, it's it's the Bible. You're not allowed mm-hmm. to change a word. Like right. working on Mad Men, you know, you if you have a, a parentheses wrong, you know, you're off. You know, all right, let's cut. Right. Uh, and uh, then there's other stuff where you're you're allowed to improvise, and there's stuff that they know it's not that good, and they're hoping you're going to bring something to the table. Is that uh, mostly TV, or is that... I mean, not TV, but, you know... Sitcoms and stuff like that, where, mm-hmm. you know, you've had a stinker line for three days, and you know it's bad, and then y- you've got something ready in your pocket at that point. Mm-hmm. And uh, you end up looking like a brilliant improviser, because in front of the live audience, all of a sudden, he changed his line, and he got a huge laugh on the last line of the scene. Well, no, I knew on Wednesday that that line sucked, and uh, I had that in my pocket uh, right. since Wednesday. But uh, what about working with actors? Because you've directed as well, right? Yeah. How did how did the Chicago influence? How did that influence you at all? Uh, well, you know, you know your terminology at least. Um, I, I think there's something about Chicago actors too. Where I'll go into an audition and casting people are like, "Wow, you've you've got it memorized." All right. Well, you can still hold the paper if you'd like, but um, okay. Look at this guy. This guy memorized it. Right. Um, but, I mean, there's a, a certain work ethic because of being in Chicago that, you mm-hmm. know, there was so many people doing it, you had to work hard. Did you, know? you do plays in Chicago? Yeah. I, Joyce Sloan actually let me leave Second City twice uh, to go do a play. Did you do Bleacher Bums? I did Bleacher Bums, the Joe Montaigne-directed right. 1989 version. Right. And, I saw that. Um, I did a, a play at Remains called Sneaky Feelings. I did uh, three one-acts and... Uh, I got to work with like Dennis O'Hare and, and you know, I was the lead in one of them. I did the Mammoth's Frog Prince mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, that was one of these things where I had the first line and a, a page and a half of dialogue and my manservant would say, yes, sir. And then I had another page and a half and he'd go, indeed, sire. And I would give him a look every show like, that's all you've got to fucking say, huh? Thank you. And, and it's Mammoth stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so I actually that, I got to meet Mamet mm-hmm. uh, at Joel's, the bar, yeah, right. right by the, the theater there, mm-hmm. and uh, I got to meet him one night, and he starts talking about me in the play, and I'm like, oh my god, he saw it, and he's talking about it, and this chick walks up, and she goes, I'm Kathleen, 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 my eyes are green, craziest bitch you've ever seen, and she turns around and pulls her hair up, and she's got a tattoo of an eye on the back of her hair, and then sits down with us. And Mamet is like, yeah, I got to get going, Joel. Uh, it's great meeting you. And he's gone. And I was like, what the fuck? I'm just, I was talking with Mamet. And uh, uh, all right. But that, uh, that was before people were having a lot of tattoos. But the, right, this right. chick had the Laura Petri tattoo on the back of her head. She also had a lot of other things going on. She too. had a lot going on. She had a lot going on. A lot of talent. Uh, I love Mamet. I fucking love it. But he, he would be one of, those, one of those pieces that would be tough to memorize. Yeah. Because of his... 
Cadence and whatnot. Cadence. But, and then working on Bleacher Bums with J.J. Johnstone, who's a, a mammoth guy, and, you know, that was Dennis Farina, J.J. Johnstone, Ron Dean. Right. It was like everybody was an ex-con or an ex-cop. The stories backstage were insane. And, well, the Ron Dean story is a yeah. fucking crazy story. Yeah. You know, as a teenager, he shot a cop. Is that right? The way you do when a you're murder, a teen. Murdered a Chicago, Chicago policeman. Yeah. And then ends up playing Chicago cops. Over and over. Over and over again. On The cop on his deathbed forgave Ron Dean and understood why it happened, and that's the reason he didn't go to prison for life and wasn't put to death, basically. Isn't that amazing? I, I just met somebody whose grandfather arrested him, and uh, it, he's writing a, a book or a story about it. Or whatever. That's another Chicago thing, you know? Yeah. Well, you got those, those stories. It's fucking stories. But, you know, hanging around, I think about hanging around uh, Cross Currents and hanging around Second City and all the people that would come by there. And that, that place, I know, it, I know it just sounds so, like, of course, but it changed my life on so many different levels. Oh, yeah. Dealing with Joyce and meeting so many people and also the idea of the cast that you have. And uh, my cast was Carell, Colbert, um, Amy Sedaris, uh, Garland, uh, for a while there, Rachel Dratch, like all those people and the balls that you get and the yeah. fucking, your voice. Yeah, 325 nights a year in front of a 360-seat audience. Right. And there's no better training in the world. It there's was, was, none. And it also, but it's also the voice and, and I, because I also, I, you know, I know as much as Liza says, Joel, you're still on Facebook, but I watch, I see, I read everybody's feed and I read political feeds really click in for me mm -hmm. and to have that strong political voice is so connected to the second city um, and to say, I believe this and I'm going to fucking hang it out and see what the fuck you think about it. Right. Well, that's Chicago, too. I mean, my, we grew up in a Democratic house. My wife, my wife, my mom worked at the polling booth all the time and she died on November 2nd and the election was not November 4th. And her obituary literally says, in lieu of flowers, vote the straight Democratic ticket. <laughs> But that's that's where we grew up, you know. Uh, so, I, yeah, whatever. I, uh, I, you know, I don't care how much money I, I make. I still think, you know, you're supposed to give something back, and right. uh, it's not just to, to the you know the symphony orchestra. It's, right. Uh, Do you, are you a church going it. person? I know where it is. Uh, my kids uh, have gone to Catholic school, and um, I get there uh, enough to make the uh, required donation for the year. But uh -huh. uh, not every I play basketball Sundays at uh, ten, so that kind of uh, interrupts my church going. But mm -hmm. uh, I get there probably, you know. And are you raising your kid? Your kids are being raised Catholic, or just go to, they just go to Catholic school? They uh, they're raised Catholic. They go to Catholic school, but mm -hmm. um, I kind of think about religion like you know. I'm a Cub fan. Right. You got to have a team to root for, right? right? I don't care what team you root for as long as you root for a team, right? Right. You know, you got to believe there's a, a higher person, you know, a higher entity than yourself. You know, you got to have a little bit of humility that you're not God. How does it, how does it play into, how does religion play into the way that you look at your career? Um, and when I say religion, I could also, it could also be spirituality. Um, well, I, uh, for years after my mom died, I, I thought she was uh, looking after my career and, uh, I literally would go to church and I'd, I'm going to network for two different shows, mom, make sure I got the right show. You and, you and God talk this one over with. And, uh, 
you know, it worked out for a, a couple decades there, but uh, I don't know if mom moved on to another plane or something like that, because she doesn't seem to be looking after my career at all lately. Uh, You've been doing really well, though. I think that that, right, you know, just the idea of, because I've been, I've, I've been watching all, all the people that we all grew up with, and I, and I see our voices starting to be really shouted out in a way and really mm-hmm. looking at people, and, and it seems like you're, you're, you've got a really solid, your, your work is so solid, Joel. Well, I had, like, the best year artistically in my career. I mean, I was in the best picture. I was in The Artist. I, I right. was the star of a movie. Uh, right. I was in Mad Men. I, you know, I, Shameless was another great thing I was in. Right. Um, so I, I had this great year, but none of it paid. I mean, God Bless America was 900 bucks a week, and right. I was moving sandbags and changing in my van. You right. know? But it was one of the best times I've ever had. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm willing to sell out again. I, uh, I'm, I'm looking for that yeah, maybe somewhere. But uh, you don't know what the career is, and that's where you get back to just being spiritual. You've got to hope that things are going to come the right way because, you know, how do you know that you're not going to go into this audition that you think absolutely sucks and get stuck on that for seven years? You know, how do you know that life is going to work out? And I I have fortunately gotten to be on good things. I mean, even, you know, the Dharma and Greggs and the Still Standings, those were great shows. Those are are still funny when I see the reruns of it. And and those ones paid well, which is nice. Right. Uh, But... Yeah, you never know. You just gotta. Well, do you feel like okay? I'm not. Do Do you feel like oh, I'm not working now. I'm not gonna ever work again. I've done my last. You don't think that, you know? I've done my last sitcom. Oh, I think every actor does that. Everybody has those. Uh, I mean, there's a reason Whoopi Goldberg's doing incontin- incontinence commercials and things like that. <laughs> oh, I mean, the actors, oh God, oh actors God, are right. just paranoid inherently, and they, they all think that they're never gonna work again. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure Harrison Ford, when you know, thinks. God, I, I gotta, I gotta get a good part of a as a dog on a, a cartoon or something. Uh, I love, I love that one dog. A, a cloud passes by, and the dogs are like, "Fucking cloud, 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 cloud." It's like, all right, all right, lay off, lay off oh, well. the cloud. Um, but yeah, I think that's universal, and you know, even tripled for actresses. Mm-hmm. Right, you know? right. Um, the idea of those shows that you mentioned were really. Uh, collaborative shows, a great collaborative cast. Um, and that's another Second City thing, too, the idea of working with all those people and just being able to open yourself up to all those other people, being influenced by all those other people. Well, you know, being in the touring company in a van with eight people and gonna, you're going to spend the next week with them and you're going to have to get along with and placate and do this and that, it is great training for the business. And, uh, you know, I say to my kids every once in a while where they have trouble with a teacher or something like that, well, that's, that's something you have to learn to deal with because the rest of your life you're going to deal with people you don't like, oh. some people you don't respect, people you hate, but you're going to be in that position and you've got to learn how to deal with that. Right. And, the the van was the perfect training center for that. And then you come out and you're on a sitcom with a cast of eight people. And, all right, there might be somebody you don't like. There might be somebody you don't respect. But God knows this is the gravy train with biscuit wheels. You don't want to fuck this up, yep. you know. And I've, I've taken people aside. I've taken actresses aside and said, you know what? It doesn't get any better than this. No. This is the best gig in the business. And you're fucking it up. And what are you thinking about? 
you're going to rue the day that you did this if this show falls apart because you got in a fight with somebody else. And uh, the looks you get, like, where do you... That kind of makes sense, though. Right. right. But it's surrendering. It's that ego. The ego suddenly gets involved, and you go, oh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really make a ruckus and make some changes. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. There's 120 people counting on this job for the next five years. Right. Don't fuck it up. Right. Yeah. But I also had those those conversations with actors when I was directing in Chicago. Mm-hmm. You know, pull somebody aside and going, it fucking doesn't get any, theatrically, it doesn't get any better than this. Yeah. You're making, and at the time, I don't know what people are making because I was directing, but, you know, you're making, say, seven bills a week. You get an insurance. You you get, you know, somebody sees you and they go, oh, you don't have to wait in line at this restaurant. And they fucking sit you down. They yeah. give you drinks. Are you fucking kidding me? Be grateful every fucking moment that you're here that you got this. Right. No, I, uh, I agree. I, uh, I, and that's, I've always had the demeanor and, and the, the feeling that like, yeah, this is great. This is fantastic. I know how lucky I am. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I don't know how people get that hubris or that, that thing in their head where they think that, you know, they're better than this situation they're in, which is the situation to be in. Right. You know, like, all right. Well, it's, it's fear, right? I mean, it's all about fear and I can't imagine what else it would be. I don't know. Fear or ego. Fear and ego, both the same thing. I don't. I guess I don't have that uh, group of people, that entourage, that's telling me, "Oh, you are the best. You right. are the most holy." Well, oh, your kids help you with that, don't they? No. They bring you down with that, or uh, not down, well, but I mean, ground they, you. Yeah, yeah. No, they they point out that I'm an idiot occasionally, right. and uh, they keep me grounded that way. Right. Yeah. You have a. I, I. I really. I love Liza. I really do. I think she. There, there's. There's. There's such a warmth coming from, and I, you know, I, I, if if you don't want to talk about this, I understand that. But there's such a warmth coming from from her, and I just love creating with her. And when she, we were in the touring company together, and she was just such a bright spot. She was one of those bright spots mm-hmm. that that I always. And when I think about her, I just think about her smiling and laughing and being connected. And. She's great, and you know I fell in love with her the, the minute I met her, and uh, I, I literally I stalked her for six months before she'd go out with me. But um, she is, she's, uh, and as an actress, she's done great stuff. Yeah. But, you know, she's an actor who one of those ones who just there's lots of doubt, and you know, am I ever going to work again? That kind of thing. And uh, you never know when you're an actress. If right. you don't, if you haven't hit it by the time you're thirty, big, you don't know if you're going to work. Right. And, uh, you know, she's been in Mitch's show. She was on The Factory. She was great on that. Right, she Looked was. great on that. And, uh, you know, she's done series. She, she had a show called The Show on Fox. Sure. And, uh, you know, she's been sort of successful. And uh, she doesn't really see that. Uh, How do you help her with that? I'm not good at it, apparently. I always, you know, it's going to be okay, bud. And she's like, if you say that again, I'm going to punch you in the fucking face. Um, but I, I guess I'm, I'm not the best caregiver in that way, and I don't know what to say because uh, I have that idiot thing in my head of, why not me? I've always got this attitude of, why not me? You know, I've been casting things where it was supposed to be a 65-year-old guy, and I got cast. Because I always have this attitude of, why not me? Right. She doesn't, you know, so not everybody has that. Does why not me mean somebody's got to get the gig, I might as well get it? Is that what you're saying? Right, right. right. Why not? Right. I'm going to do my best, and somebody might say, well, you know what, he could be 43. Right. You know? I think that if you come into it saying, I can't, people are going to read that. 
Right. When I came out here, I remember thinking to myself, someone's got to get this work. I might as well fucking get it. Exactly. Somebody's got to get it. And if you don't think that you're going to be up for, if you don't think that that job is for you, why are you fucking even doing this? Mm-hmm. But people do get caught up in the ego part of it going, this is not for me. I shouldn't be here. What's the problem? It's like, and you also don't know, like this gig is going to lead to something else. Right. I can't tell you how many that auditions. That meeting I, might lead to something. Exactly. Yeah. Auditions in Chicago that I've had where I wasn't right for that part, but this director uh, passed me on to this other person. And suddenly, you know, I'm, I'm in a show and I'm making, you know, seven, seven, five up to seven hundred dollars a week on an equity production. Mm-hmm. I go, that's awesome, man. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. And I also, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you take acting classes or anything like that. So many people out here don't take any acting classes. Mm-hmm. So all these times I, I go in for an audition and uh, I know I'm not right for it, but it's an acting class. Right. It's, you know, right. So I, I, I'm, it's like a scene study class when you're doing some John Travolta, Olivia Newton John thing. I know I'm not right for that either, right. but here's my scene study for the day. And uh, I'll go up and I'll work it up and I'll do my best. And, is this uh, a class with a bunch of other people in it? No, I'm saying it, I don't take any. You classes. don't take any. You don't take any. I think any. all these Got auditions it. that I would think I'm wrong for is, right. is my acting class. Got it, got so it, got I, it, got I it, got do it. the best I possibly can for my acting class, which right. is, you know, some chick with a video camera and a casting agent whose names I never remember. I'm so bad at that. I know. So many people in this town, like, send flowers and know all these ladies by heart. I was at a party at my agency the other day for the 4th of July, and Nancy Foy came up to me and goes, you don't know who I am, do you? And I'm like, <laughs> Why would you say that? That's an awful thing to say. I'm like, ah, ah, I don't, re- I, I've seen you for years. I've read for you a million times. You've had different colored hairs, and I didn't know that today's hair was you. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. And I just, ugh, I feel so bad that I didn't know her. And, uh, and then my brother Brian's there. Oh, God, I've never, I've never, I don't remember any of them. Oh, you my know? God. But uh, it, it's such a surreal moment when you're in auditioning anyway. It's right. not like I'm, I'm taking in every aspect of the people in the room. I'm... I'm only focusing from here to you. You know, I'm not focusing at anything else in the room, or you're not in the scene, right? Right. So, I remember uh, they could be shooting off fireworks over there. I'm I'm in the scene with it you. It fucking doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't matter. Uh, one of the things that uh, uh, Carrie Clifford, you know Carrie? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So Carrie, uh, her husband uh, Paul Basie went to school with um, Vince Vaughn. Uh huh. You didn't. You're not one of those people, Lake Foresty people. No. Yeah, you're. We're well met. We caddied for the kids from Winneka. Right. Right. Yeah. We uh, so that was all that group. Vince Vaughn and uh, who else are there? Eggers. Dave Eggers was up there too. But Carrie knows. Uh, Carrie knows Vince, and Vince really liked what Carrie was doing, and said, uh, "I want to put a show around you, like a Carol Burnett type show." So I met with Vince Vaughn and uh, at his offices down in. Wherever it was, La Brea or something, on La Brea. And we sat, we're talking, and he was saying, when somebody's auditioning for me, I don't want you to fucking come over here and be my friend. I'm not looking for somebody to have a barbecue with. Do your fucking job, and that's all. Walk away from it and let it the fuck go. And that's it. That's how I've always been, too. Just, you know, as soon as I'm done, I'm, I'm done. All right, thank you. Good luck right. with this. And walk out the door. And do you leave it in the room, around. or do you walk it and take that out the door? Do you know, oh, that job, I really want that job, I really... You know, do you sometimes I'll hang onto the sides in the van for a couple of days thinking I might need these sides again. But right. I'm also not one of those guys that just throws them out immediately when they walk out the door. Uh-huh. I'm like, oh, that's uh, fucking fuck that. Yeah. So you don't hold on to the you don't hold on to any residue of like oh, I finally did that and why didn't I do that? Do you leave all that shit in the room? 
Oh, I'll I'll go over it in the ride home, but that's about the extent of it. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, things you could have done better, maybe a line you missed. Wow, I should have worn my glasses. Uh, right. That kind of thing. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I just did a, a little tiny part in this movie called Lay the Favorite. And um, uh, D.V. D. Vicentes, uh, who was one of the Cusack friends growing up, okay. um, wrote it. with, And uh, Stephen Frears directed it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I went in and I auditioned here. And I, I thought it did good. But uh, it went away. And they were going to shoot it in Vegas like the next week. And then all of a sudden they called me like three weeks later going, yeah, we want you to do that part down in New Orleans. And so I'm going to New Orleans to get a lap dance from Rebecca Hall. And I'm like, couldn't do a local hire on this one, huh? All right. My my plus. But uh, Vince Vaughn was on it mm-hmm. and Bruce Willis. And uh, people are always like, God, you and Vince would get on famously. You guys, you're both huge Cub fans and Chicago right. guys. And uh, you, you guys would love each other. And I was like, well, I'm looking forward to meeting them. And it's 100 degrees in New Orleans, you know, and we're shooting on the side of this marsh or whatever. And... They have these huge monolith buses, and I'm in like a eight-hole honey wagon, and uh, just kind of like looking to see if I can you know, run into anybody. You know, I'd like to meet them. Right. And I was there three days, never saw anybody. And uh, like after working on God Bless America, where I'm literally you know talking with PAs all day long and right. standing around, uh, it was weird to be on a huge, big-budget movie where you know they come with a, people with umbrellas over them to right. shield the sun, and they go directly into their bus and they're gone. I'm like, oh, it is such like it does turn into such industry, such a business suddenly at that point, like in and out, get people in and out. Well, yeah, and just the the amount of money they're they're burning at right. any given moment, it's just phenomenal. When you when you make a small film, you say, wow, really? They got eight vans waiting to drive you somewhere, and there's only three people working today. That's hmm, okay. Union, yeah. So you know where Vince lives in Chicago, right? No. He owns the top floors of the Playboy building. Really? <laughs> He's got that, the old Palmolive building. Yeah, note to self, do that. Uh-huh. That's his apartment. That's crazy. I remember when that place was going on sale, and I remember that you could take a virtual tour online of it, and um, that's his place. That's his place. That's his place. Do you remember when the beacon used to go around? Yeah, I remember that. Black out for certain buildings right. as it went around in the circle. Right. But growing up That's in the Chicago. Playboy building. Everybody's nude in there. Exactly. It's nude. Drive by. Or no. the Playboy match go, oh, look, there's fucking naked people there. Naked people. I play golf out here. Uh, once in a while, I've been invited to play LA Country Club, and the mansion's on one of the holes. And there was one day, you, there was these two girls on a trampoline. And uh, you could, they were like bouncing up over this hedge to the point right at like the boob line. It was wonderfully <laughs> enticing. Like, those are nude girls on a trampoline and we can't see it. We can almost see it. Pretty good. How often do you make it back to Chicago? I get back, uh, you know, two, three times a year. My kid's going to Loyola, Chicago, my second one. Uh, he loves it. Um, we, we've lost him to Chicago. He just absolutely loves it. I've got him a gig working on a rooftop overlooking Wrigley, and uh, he works at the Laugh Factory. Uh-huh. And uh, he's, he's loving school. He loves, you know, the whole setup, loves the city, loves the weather. Uh-huh. And uh, so we get back, and Liza's from Wilmette, too. Right. So we we get back and see her family. Because uh, I know the... Uh you know, D. Ryan and Austin Titchener, moved back they to moved Blanca. back. And the idea of moving from here, it's such a move. I mean, yeah. such a mental move yeah. of going, we're letting it go. Well, our five-year plan has always been to make a lot of money and move back. And we're on our fifth five-year plan now. 
and uh, been out here 22 years and uh, haven't quite made enough to get the top of the Palm Olive building. Right. Uh, so I'm, I'm still here. And, you know, I talked to my brother this morning who's back there and, uh, you know, he said 94 degrees at 11 o'clock in the morning. Right. And I'm like, yeah, it's going to be 80 and sunny again. Right. It's going to be nice here. I know. I yeah. know. I Do you remember the moment that you said, I like it here? Here? Or, yeah. Uh I've run out of complaints a, a, a while ago. I used to, you know, hate the fact that the bars were closed so early, and I hated the radio. That was one of my right. biggest beefs out here was the I radio agree. stations were totally so agree. bad. Right. But uh, 88.5, the uh, Northridge station right. is so good. And, is that and, KLXU? Is that what that is? Or? No, probably K-Sun, something KCSN. I okay. 88.5, and then, you know, the 100.3 is uh, right. pretty darn good as well. So uh, the fact that the radio is good... And I'm always driving, it seems like, the opposite direction of all the traffic. Right. I'm, I'm, thank God I'm not those people. But That's, I fucking think about that all the time. And actors' hours, you know, you're either going at 5 in the morning or you're going at 10, 15. Right. And, uh, so you're not in that. And uh, so I, 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 uh, I'm hard-pressed to find uh, things to complain about. And we hang out with 90% Chicagoans. Right. You know? I remember when, Craw- when Crawley came out here, Kevin Crawley, and how much he fucking hated it out here. Yeah. And well, we call no. it Hell A. And no, it's he's like, in, what, Cincinnati or Cleveland? <laughs> Look at that. So, you know? yeah, live it up. <laughs> I mean, I love Lucien and Kevin, but, you know. I God, do, too. What are you going to, Well, it's also about, there's other, other things going on there, too. Um, I remember the moment, like, I was standing, I was standing at uh, the Cat and the Fiddle, and I had a, a vodka in my hand. I was outside listening to a jazz band play, and I, I was with a bunch of Chicago people. And I turned to somebody, I think Seamus McCarthy, I turned to somebody and went, I love L.A. And he goes, what did you just say? I was like, what did I just say? I just, what the fuck did I just say? He said it. Wow. And, it was a, and, and then I realized, oh, next week's Valentine's Day. And here I am, outside, with a fucking vodka in my hand, listening to music. And in Chicago, you fucking can't do that. Yeah. No, and I'm a huge golfer. And, you know, right. you're, you're out in shorts, teeing it up on January 29th, going, you know, I'd be standing on an ice floe looking at how much of the lake was frozen. You know, that would be my big exercise for the day, and then I'd go back to my room. But... Yeah, you know the one downside is there's never really a good day to lay in bed and read, which you know Chicago would dictate. Exactly. Today is a day to lay in bed and read. Right, right, right. Frost on the windows and yeah. it's all cozy and there's blankets all over the fucking yeah. place. You go, I'm gonna wrap myself up and watch watch it. You just came back from where were you golfing? Northern Ireland. I got Fuck. to play in uh, the pro am for the Irish Open up in Northern Ireland and. Uh, they were trying to get a hold of my brother Billy, who's impossible to get a hold of, even for me sometimes. And uh, so uh, I said, "Well, I'll, I'll see what I can do." And uh, I called him. He's like, "Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, yeah, I'm supposed to actually be over and meet some people in Southern Ireland, in the Republic." And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm in. And so I called him back and said, "Yeah, he's very interested in it and would like to do it." And uh, well, we'd like to thank you for getting your man to play, and um, we'd like to have you along as well then. And so I got to go, and then right away, and my wife wants to come too. Uh, <laughs> oh, that would be fine. Yes, yes, anyway, great, great, great. But it was the best trip ever. And Northern Ireland, you know, now that the troubles are over, right, right. they want to be tourists. You know, right. I mean, they want to have tons of tourism. What cities did you go to? We were mainly uh, 
Belfast, and uh, we were up near the Upperlands, you know, up where Royal Port Rush is and Royal Port Stewart and Castle Rock, where these phenomenal golf courses are that are all like as good as Pebble Beach. And, you know, I had hoped for my 50th birthday to play with my brothers at Pebble, and that didn't pan out like I dreamed. And uh, so all of a sudden, I, I got to play these other courses with my brother Bill, and they were, you know, as good or better. And, uh, you know, playing in the Pro-Am with 17,000 people watching you, there's... Pretty freaking crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. That's got to be like one of those. We played with Graham McDowell, the guy who won the U.S. Open. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, just the nicest guy in the world. What's it like so, hanging out with those guys? Well, what are those guys like? They, they, I think they realize how good they got it. You know, it's like yeah, well, you know, whatever. I came in second. I only made eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars. What do you do for you know? <laughs> what do you do for a living? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's pretty good. I play golf. What was it like to play with those guys? Like, uh, like, is your game? No. What did you, what did you go they're, in? They're so much better than you are. You can't even imagine how good they are. And, uh, you know, he's aiming at a spot 310 yards out, and you're hoping to get it over the crevasse, you know. <laughs> he's aiming at an exact pinpoint spot, and you're just hoping to get it over there and stay out of the gorse and not kill the people. Right. You know? <laughs> uh, so it's, it's a little bit different game. Right. Um, were you uh, were you able to get into Belfast at all? We we only we had one night in Belfast. A wild night in Belfast was really fun. Uh -huh. uh, my brother Bill uh, knew people, girls that he had worked with, and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, we were at a table with this one girl from Game of Thrones. These two girls that could have been the Pigeon Sisters in uh -huh. any production of The Odd Couple, uh -huh. and and this other girl who was uh, used to be Bill's assistant and uh, worked in different aspects of the industry, and they were just a freaking riot. Really fun, and Liza fit right in. And we I love. Has Liza been to Ireland before? We've been down to the Republic. We've been in the right. South, but never up to the North either. And she, I've never been to North either. She got set up because uh, we're the guest of the uh, tourist bureau of Northern Ireland. They want to, you know, do everything. Our money was no good there. Right. All, we, all we could possibly spend it on was tipping the caddies, which is something we like to do because Bill and I grew up caddying. Right, uh, and. It, it was so great. And every day she's going off to the Titanic Museum. And I was wondering about that. And she's that. going off and walking this rope bridge and, and the great giant causeway and all this stuff. She's doing all the cultural stuff. And Bill and I are, are drinking and golfing, which is <laughs> another great way to see the world. I uh, love it. I fucking love Ireland so yeah. much. Do you it's, remember when we went and did the cat laughs? Yeah. How yeah. good was that? That was really Why fun. Why did that run out? Uh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, that was yeah. so good. It was so good. It was uh, Murphy's Cat Laugh Festival, and uh, Kill Kenny, Michael McCarthy got us all, and, you know, put a cast together, and ha Mike Haggerty, and uh, and we just had to go over and improvise. So it wasn't like we were preparing anything. We just go and get up, and uh, it was so good. And then one year, Brian, Billy, and I, right. Pasquazi, and Megan Fay, and oh, uh, Canadian actress's name I forgot. Uh, uh, Linda Cash. Linda Cash, thank you. Right. Uh, went over and we did a best of Second City show from when Bill, Brian, and I were there. And like we did Hamlet. Did you ever? Right. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. With Fred Kaz on the piano. Oh, fucking Fred was there too. And we of course. Went, we rehearsed for a week at Billy's house. Then we rehearsed for this place called the Gertalaga House on the River Shannon and did a show for the staff. You know, the staff all of a sudden was 120 people for the night of the show. <laughs> and then we, we did the show in Kilkenny, and it was at like 6 o'clock. So 7.30, we're done. So we were playing 18 holes of golf in the morning. And then we'd do our show, and then we'd play like 14 holes of golf because it was light until 11 o'clock at night. Right. And then we'd show up in the pub, and they're like, hey, you Murray, so you really have your wits about you still. What the, everybody else is so fucking drunk? Like, well, we haven't really hit the bar yet, uh, but we will. <laughs> 
for me, when I think about Ireland, I think, I think you look at what you think Ireland's going to be and what it is looks exactly the fucking same. Yeah. The travel pictures that you have in your head, and then you go over there. And the people there are so fucking nice. Those cat yeah. left people there, the pub people, you know, it was just... And we toured around, you know, we toured around the, the, uh, the island there, well, from Galway to Dublin and, and south. Yeah. But man alive. And I felt so... Growing up in Chicago and being a Jew in Chicago and then moving to, uh, you know... Suddenly uh, you're a Jubicon, though. But that's what Beltsman I'm saying. with the thick brogue after an hour and a half. <laughs> exactly. Like, exactly. Beltsman, you're from Detroit. Stop it. Exactly. Yeah, but I so felt good. so warm there. But yeah. you know, because I, again, it's that Catholic thing that it's like it's 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 the Catholic Israel. Is that right? Is that the way you say that? Um, where it's like you go to Israel and there's so many Jews. You go to Ireland, there's so many Catholics. Yeah. And I, and Italy must be the same way. Yeah. Um, but but growing up with Catholics, and I just felt I married a Catholic girl. Of course, you married a Catholic girl. I married a Catholic girl. Uh, I just loved the Catholic lifestyle. I loved the drinking. I loved the passion. I loved the guilt. You know, I love all that shit. And it's just so so part of me growing up. Mm-hmm. And so going to Ireland and feeling that energy that everybody has, and the music, and the fact that you you go to a pub and there's kids lying around. You go, and there's kids hanging around. You going, well, shouldn't they be in bed? It's like, no, no. Then I'd have to go. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and the music comes out, and the fucking music, yeah. playing the music and all that stuff. We had a night when we were just there, and uh, Billy and I, when we were doing that tour, and my one tip to anybody going to Ireland is get a car that is a, a van or like a Toyota Land Rover, something that's six inches higher than a sedan, because if you're in a sedan, it's nothing but walls going by you right. all day long. But if you're six inches higher, it's like, oh, my God. Ireland, right? Every as far as you can see, right? Uh, so we we had the best time, and uh, we were driving around this Toyota Land Cruiser, and we were picking up girls hitchhiking, and we've got a cooler in the car, and you know, give them a pint of you want a harp, you want a Smithix, you want a, a, a Guinness, what would you like? And we made them all learn the words to the the Star of the County Down, the Van Morrison and the Chieftains, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, the, there was a great moment of watching these girls realize that, oh, the guy in the cowboy hat driving is Bill Murray. Holy fuck. And, and we would drive them all the way to the hostel they were going to or whatever. So we, we knew the words the uh, star of the county down. So we had this dinner with all these people for the Irish Pro-Am and Bill and I got up and said, you know, this, our hostess was like, well, the Murray brothers would like to sing a song. So we sing the song, two-part harmony. And people are like, Look at the Americans showing up and singing a fucking song. Next thing you know, guys are getting up and quoting Keats and quoting, you know, uh, Tommy Makem right. lyrics and getting up and doing songs. And this guy, Ronan Keating, who's like from a boy band over in Ireland, he got up and did like four songs. They had a, a what they call a lambeg drum, which is an enormous bass drum. This guy's in playing this thing and spinning around in this drum in this little room, you know, like about the size of this mm-hmm. with, you know, 40 people in it. It was... Uh, Crazy, and we all know we gotta play in the morning. But meanwhile, it's unlimited bushmills, and we're drinking, and it was just the best time ever. And that's it's kind of like if you ever been to Costa Rica, yeah. everybody is so nice because they know tourism is it, right? And so, like literally, if a guy's a pick in a pocket in uh, Costa Rica, they will beat him to a pulp to see. See, we're against this. We're not for the pickpockets, we, you know. And but I, I think that's where Northern Ireland is going. Is they want it to be about tourism now, and it's so nice and it's so much fun. Did you do that? Did you didn't go to the Titanic Museum? No, no, I played golf that. Right, day. right, right. 
And I watched, uh, I was enamored with the Titanic thing. I don't know why. But yeah. I just got hooked into that. And I read a couple of books on it. And then I watched a PBS special. And uh, this uh, building that they made for the Titanic that looks like the prow of the ship. Yeah. And I looked at it going, man, that's a fucking unbelievable. But what they were saying was, this is, the troubles happened. It happened. Mm-hmm. But it's not happening. I, I was on a, a show called Pacific Station years ago with Dick Libertini and right. uh, Robert Guillaume and uh, Ron Liebman, a great cast, and uh, it was short-lived. I think we only did 13 of them or something like that. But Robert Guillaume was talking one day about um, being in a big band in the 40s and how 99% of the band would go here and him and the other black guy would have to stay down the street. And you know they'd go to this restaurant, they'd have to eat out in the back kind of thing. And he, he goes, you know, I understand racism. You know, it's the most natural thing in the world to, to not trust people who aren't like you and, and to, to trust people more that are like you. And you know, I understand racism. But he looks directly at me and goes, but you Irish, what the fuck is that about? <laughs> and th- th- this is during all the troubles, right? And, and I'm like, I don't know. Right. I, they're all white. They're all Christian. Right. I don't get it. I no. It's not me. I didn't understand it either. Again, you know, being a Jewish guy, where it's like, what, don't you all like, like, you're all worshiping the same guy. Yeah. And I didn't get it because in Judaism, you've got Orthodox, Reform, you've got, you've got those things. But we pretty much are going, you know, we're all the same. But... The Protestants and the Catholics? Yeah. It's, I'm looking going, you guys are the same to me. He's like, no, 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 yeah. no. Color your shirts, that's the only difference. You know, I mean, right. Couldn't, couldn't figure it out. Right, 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 right. Uh, and my next door neighbor, they had they were the fish. So that's the name of the fish. So I lived, uh, we moved into this house, in a Chicago-style bungalow, you know, with the, mm-hmm. the front. That's where my, the my mom lives. Yeah, beautiful place. So we moved into this, imagine the middle house, just to the east of us were the fish. And there was uh, nine of them. And there were nine kids in a two-bedroom. They would be the Irish Catholics. They would be the Irish Catholics. And they were so lovely, just lovely. And then next to us, the west of us, just the west of us, were Eugene and Chucky Bird. So it was the fish and the birds lived on either side of us. (laughs) So that was, but but the idea of like the Catholic and growing up Catholic, uh, growing up next to Catholics, I never got it. I didn't understand. People went to St. Tibbs and on the the South side, but you didn't do any of the South side stuff. No, not really. You didn't do the parish stuff or anything like that. Up North. Up North, you had parishes up North. Yeah. Like your neighborhoods were called parishes. No, but you knew where your parish was. Right. There was, you know, unwritten boundaries of, yeah. Like Liza lived, Ten blocks away from me, but she was St. Francis. We were St. Joe's. Uh-huh. St. Francis wets their pants. You know, St. <laughs> Joe's are all Moe's. You know, it was uh, there was rivalry. Uh, you know, whatever. Right, but the uh, the South Side guys, they like George, George Wendt, was to who the went, north. Who was? Where did Finn grow up? Was Finn He's up a, by you? He grew up about five blocks from me. He grew up with St. Joe's. Uh-huh. Did you know? Is he from a big family? Uh, no, there were only about five of them. But uh, Kevin Finn was my year. Pat uh-huh. was like three years younger than me. Oh, I know Kevin. Yeah. I know Kevin. Great guy. Oh, the fucking Finns, man. Ah, oh, the fucking Finns. That sounds like things that Irish people say. Ah, oh, the fucking Finns. I the, love them. The fishes in my neighborhood were the people that had the walkout basement, and that they had, like, the huge stoner basement where just at any given moment you could go to the fish house and load a bong and uh, hang out, you know? <laughs> oh, for me, it was all the pretty fish girls, the Catholic oh, girls. You go, fuck, oh, yeah. Jesus, they're beautiful. Ugh. Oh, to be in love with that. And I think that that's why I married a Catholic girl, because I was still attracted to the, to the fish. <laughs> How many sentences can you say like that? Come for the fish, stay for the buffet. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But I, I, we had a reunion uh, uh, not too long ago. I hadn't seen them in 45 years. 
40, no, 40 years. I hadn't seen him in 40 years. Oh. And to not see somebody in 40 years. And then you realize, oh, that's right, I'm 53 years old. There's the ice cream guy. That's nice. Um, have you had those moments where you go, I'm fucking 50 years old? I was, uh, I took my, my son, Louis, is 13. And we went, and this guy needed some people to play basketball. I still play basketball. And uh, last minute, you know, can you come and play? I'm like, yeah, you can I bring my kid. I'm, and yeah, yeah. So uh, we're playing, and Louie and I played really well. And we actually had kind of the game winner on a couple games. And we're playing all these guys that are like 28, 29. And uh, I go to Louie, I go, hey, this is pretty good. We did all right, huh? And driving home, I mean, you're 10 years younger than all those guys. I'm at least 10, 12 years older than them. He goes, 12, Dad? Oh, 22 years older than that. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. All right. Fuck, I'm 50. But yeah, I uh, I don't think it. No. And, and we were talking yesterday, Liza and I were talking about my boy Hank, his girlfriend is coming for the weekend. And I'm like, you know, this is getting kind of serious. You know, he's only 22. What the heck kind of thing? She goes, Joel, how old were you when you were living with Lydia? Oh, 23. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. all right. Okay. Right. But uh, yeah, you. Uh, it's... It blows me away. Uh, I just worked with a bunch of 20-year-olds and you know, talking about the time, uh, Chicago 1984 and all that, 1984, 1994, and you realize you, your parents might, their parents might not even have had pubic hair when, <laughs> at that time, you know what I yeah. mean? It's like, what, how did that happen? Yeah. I meet I, these people and their, you know, their parents are younger than my brothers and sisters. Right. Yeah. I've had students who said, "Ah, oh, you were you you were you were my dad's teacher." And I said, "What are you fucking talking about? I was your dad's, te- you know, how could I be your dad's teacher yeah. and you not be 4 years old?" You know, he's a 21-year-old. I was like, "You were my dad's teacher." Like, "What? Were you born then?" It's like, "No, I wasn't born then." And then I realized how long I've been doing this. Yeah. I just did a reading of uh Guru, they're gonna, they're trying to put together another Del Close movie. Right. right. I've done a couple Del Close readings, and I do it as Del. And, right. Uh, so I, I, I did a two-hour Del Close imitation, and afterwards, people are like, "Oh, that was so great!" I felt like I was there with them. Like, you, none of you ever studied with Del. None of you ever. None. Right. Of, wow. None. But uh, a panel of like eight, nine other actors. Nobody had ever met them, or you know. Just I would imagine. I, I, you know, it, you got you perform at. Uh, are you you're still doing your show? Yeah, every uh-huh. other Thursday at uh, the I.O. And on the wall, there's Dell's picture, but I don't think anybody even knows who that is. <laughs> you know, huge picture. Not It's a huge mural on the side of a wall. Um, I don't know other than... I don't know how to keep his memory alive other than keep going, uh, and that's it. How's the script? Uh, this one was interesting. A guru, you know, comes from the uh, eyes of a student, and... Uh, a guy that was like kind of hired to drive Dell around. Right. Uh, so I really like that aspect of it because that's where I came from, you mm-hmm. know. And I've always thought that my story would be better than anybody else's, but I'm too lazy to write it. Right. And, you know, there's a glut of Dell Close stories around. Um, but, you know, and I also did the reading for Sharna Helpern's version, which is, you know, from her point of view, right. which I don't think is the way to, you know, necessarily portray Dell or, you know, tell Dell's story. Uh, but I, I like this, and it had some good moments, and uh, I, I think it's going to get better and better. Betty Thomas, I think, is uh, attached to it. Oh, and, nice. Uh, she knew Dell. And, uh, right. Is anybody so, else attached to it? Not that Just Betty? Yeah. They, they're not, they haven't cast it or anything like that? No. Mm-hmm. But I was kind of like, I 
you know, give me a weekend. I could look really bad. Right. A fake beard. I could be dull. I remember yeah. y'all working on uh, Honor Finnegan versus the Brain of the Galaxy, yeah. and what an amazing time that was just to be adjacent to all of that. Yeah. And it was, it, again, another ripe fucking time. Yeah. That, I was that, out by then. Uh, oh, I, you were out by yeah, then? Yeah, we'd come back and play once in a while, but we all were hired by the Did touring company. Did you do that? You didn't do that show? I never did that show. No, we we used to work with Honor when we had our show. We had a show that that show at Gas Bars at, at Shuba's, whatever. But there was one night we had like eighty people in the audience, and Joyce came, and she just she hired everybody. She hired all the guys in the company, and I like the same weekend got cast in One Crazy Summer and went away. Mm-hmm. And I was gone for two months, and I came back, and like my whole group was now in the touring company, and I was like, huh. What the fuck am I going to do now? And I went back and I was improvising for like a day or something like that. And Joyce called me in and uh, I remember that happening. Uh, I remember I remember hearing about that. What year was that? That was uh, eighty (laughs) five. Twelve years ago. Twelve years ago. Exactly. Twelve years ago. Mm -hmm. ago. Um, Let's wrap it up. But I thank you so much for coming over. Well, I'm uh, always happy to do things that I know the lines to, uh, so that was easy. You got them all right. Yeah, I had them all memorized. In the car on the way home, you're going to go, fuck, God, I should have said that. All right, yeah. great. Well, thank you, Joel. Pleasure. Good. Thanks, everybody. Today's episode was sponsored by Aquasurf. With locations in Florida, California, and Hawaii, they are the nation's leading surf instructors. For more information, visit www.aquasurf.com. We are the locals, bro. Thank you for listening to the ADD Comedy Podcast. For Dave Rosowski, I am Ian Foley, and this is Mama Mel. Prepare for enlightenment so bright, it will sunburn your soul with Mama Mel. Went to the store today and played grocery item touch or dare with the lady in front of me who clearly challenged me by being just a little too quick to slap down the this is my shit stick at the end of her junk. That's the equivalent of pissing all over your stuff to market. I accepted her challenge and dared to touch her groceries. Oh, I didn't just touch them. I petted them heavily and fondled them right out of the way. I threw all my shit up, then proceeded old school by straddling the conveyor belt and urinating all over my groceries. I always win that game. Yeah, better luck next time, lady. You gotta get up pretty early in the morning and drink lots and lots of water to beat Mama Mel.